Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, June the 30th, 2023. It is currently 9.32 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Tonight's episode, I would like to present it more as, hey, uh, you know, how are you doing? Like, like you just kind of drove by, you see the light in the studio and you decided to park your car, knock on the door, you walked in, you come up the stairs and you're like, hey, how are you doing? And and we're just going to sit down and have a discussion and have a conversation, right? Or maybe there's, you know, five or 10 of us sitting around a table and we're just going to have a conversation. We're going to have a discussion. Uh, and now I do, I, I do more of a kind of a conversational approach a lot of times, but it can really slide over into more lecture, more preaching. Some may say sometimes a full-blown rant, but uh, I, I, so I, I try a lot of different approaches, but I think tonight I want to have much more of a conversation, a discussion, like we're just sitting around talking on a Friday evening. We're just there having a conversation about some very important aspects of the Christian life. And I hope that this proves to be beneficial for some. Some of you may reject my approach outright, which is not too uncommon. But I think, I be- I really do believe that there's some of you out there that this hopefully will be somewhat comforting, bring you maybe some sense of peace and may make you feel like, wow, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Only I, because I know there has to be other people out there just like me, because I know I definitely feel this way. All right. So hopefully you have your thinking caps on and hopefully this will be a good discussion. Are you ready? I want you to think about this in your Christian life, where you are today in your Christian life, which word more describes your Christian life Today, which word more describes your Christian life today? Is it the word certainty? Does certainty, does that describe your Christian life today? That you're filled with certainty. You are certain. You are convinced and certain. There is certainty. I mean, you you have this immovable amount of certainty. You are convinced and nothing can move you. Nothing can change your mind. There's just this great sense of certainty in your mind. You feel like you've got answers and everything seems to make sense. Would that describe your Christian life? Would the word certainty describe your Christian life today? Are you, how It would describe how certain you are about theology, doctrine, Bible interpretation, hermeneutics. There's just this great sense of certainty in your life. Would that word describe, is that the word that would describe your Christian life? Or is it the word doubt? Is it the word doubt? Certainty or doubt? You're filled with lots of, of doubts and 
questions and confusion and things don't quite make sense and it bothers you. And, and, and maybe sometimes you feel awkward that everyone else seems so certain and certainty seems to be the, you know, the, the mood of the day, but you're like, I don't know. I, that doesn't make any sense. And that's confusing to me. And that's confusing to me. And, and, you know, I don't understand why this happens. Or maybe you've been studying the book of Jeremiah and you're filled with all kinds of questions and, and doubts and confusion. Is your Christian life right now one of great certainty or one with there is much doubt and confusion? How about a third word? The third word is faith. That the word right now that really describes your Christianity, where you are right now, it is faith. Now, someone just said more questions than certainty. Now, see, I... I relate to that kind of person because that, that's where I feel like I've been for a very long time in my Christian life. Questions and questions and doubt and confusion. And it makes no sense. And whenever I present those questions, present those doubts, present that, many Christians almost like, and almost they take it offense to it. They take it personal and they get upset and they get bothered. And they're like, no, we have truth. We are certain. And, and their certainty almost has a, a, a sense of arrogance connected to it. But is it certainty? Is it doubt? Or is it faith? There is a great sense of faith and belief and trust in your Christian life. How would you describe your Christian life tonight? How would you describe your Christianity tonight? How would you describe your Christian life now? Right now, I'm in a period where certainty is what describes me. Certainty. I just know or doubt and confusion or faith. Now, you may say, well, how does faith fit in with the other two? Just, just, just stay with me. I really want you to think about that. Now, I believe personally the path to spiritual maturity is going to have you go through phases like phases of certainty, phases of doubt, in a phase we will refer to as faith, and I will explain that in a minute. In fact, I took my journal right before I went live on the air, took um, a pencil, and I wrote down what I kind of feel like are stages. I'm going to put down stages of my Christian life. I, I'm not going. I think everyone should go through these stages, but many may disagree. But we'll talk about those stages in a minute. Here is what happened. I was in the studio. Once again, just trying to figure out, well, what do I do? What do I, what do I talk about tonight? And I was thinking more going more from like a very much a, a teaching. And then I thought, no, maybe more of a discussion. And I opened up the Medium app, which is an app where people – basically, it's like people who write articles – and well, you pay a subscription fee, I don't know, like $4 a month and you get access to all of them. If you don't pay, you get like one article a day or two articles a day. But I read a lot of different articles. So um, it's called Medium. And some of the stories are for, you know, uh, members only. And um, I, I was just looking and there's one author that I follow pretty closely. His name is Dan Foster. Now, he used to be an evangelical Christianity an evangelical Christian, and he moved away from evangelical Christianity. And he writes some articles that t typically ticks off a lot of Christians because of, of his questions and, 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 and critique and criticism. 
And so he wrote an article two days ago entitled, You were never a Christian to begin with! Exclamation mark. Because he'd wrote an article and, of course, someone immediately attacked him in the comment section saying, you were never a Christian. You were never a believer. And, and of course, he, he just he tries to respond to this person. It's a very interesting article, but I don't want to discuss the entire article because I think that would take the discussion far away from talking about certainty, doubt, and faith. But in the middle of the article, maybe even uh, further down than the middle, he has this heading, right, for, for this section. And the heading is the arrogance of Christianity. The arrogance of Christianity. And when I saw that, you know, heading, I was like, wow. Is Christianity filled with arrogance? And what leads to that arrogance? Sometimes what leads to that sense of arrogance, is it not a sense of certainty? We are certain we have the answers and you don't. And it leads to an arrogant, an arrogant mindset, an arrogant attitude. Now, some would say, no, 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 I'm not arrogant. I'm just certain. I know I have the truth. But I think that there is, I think there is a disease of arrogancy, a, a disease of arrogance in the world of Christianity. At least I believe so. Put it this way. I can't speak for anybody else, but I know that in my Christian life, there were clear times where I was infected with the disease of arrogance. Right? No question about it. Pride and arrogance. But what is he referring to? Well, let me read some of this because there's a section here that I think is just beautifully written. And immediately I wanted to just grab my journal and just start thinking about this. But I thought, let's have a discussion together. All right, here we go. In the realm of conservative Christian faith, certainty is often mistaken for righteousness. In the realm of conservative Christian faith, Certainty is often mistaken for righteousness. Do you believe that is true? I mean, that's the claim. I mean, we're just having a discussion tonight that in certain forms of conservative Christianity, certainty is often mistaken for righteousness. Like you, you feel righteous. You feel godly. You feel holy because you are so certain. Your certainty is almost seen as a, as a badge of righteousness, as proof of your righteousness because you're so certain. You just have all the answers. The article continues. Those who assert that departing individuals were never real Christians exude an air of superiority and unshakable confidence in their own understanding of truth. Now, I know you see this. You can see this anywhere on Christian social media. Christians, when they speak, I, I get the, I see this as air of superiority and this unshakable confidence in their own understanding of truth. I get this in my email inbox. I get it on YouTube comments. I, I, I'll get it all, all, all kinds of different places. Sometimes I've, I've had... Constant sometimes issues with, with people who claim to be Christian and they definitely exude an air of superiority and an unshakable confidence 
that their understanding is the right one and anyone else's understanding is the wrong one. And that wrong one most likely puts you outside of Christianity. Now, listen, I got, I'm not calling for, well, nobody should fight for truth. Nobody should stand for truth. Nobody should ever argue. I'm saying that as we fight for truth, defend truth, define truth, and argue, we always have to at least be willing to acknowledge we could be very wrong. And not only that, nobody agrees anyway. I was reading a book. Let's see, where is it? Where where did I put the book? Uh, Down here. I was also reading this today. Spiritual Warfare and the Storyline of Scripture, a Biblical, Theological, and Practical Approach. And I was reading a section on evil spirits and Satan being mentioned in the historical and wisdom literature. I did a podcast yesterday where we talked about it being mentioned in Judges, chapters 9, 22 through 24. Then they go into a lengthy discussion of Satan demons being mentioned in 1 Samuel. Okay, a, a tormenting spirit in 1 Samuel 16, and I, I've got all the passages here. All right. So they talk about, well, the Hebrew term here, do we understand it as a demonic spirit or is it just more referring to almost kind of a psychological illness that Saul had? Was it an evil spirit that was tormenting him or was it like a psychological illness, something going on mentally? And so they 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 kind of go back and forth and then they say this on page 22. A solution with which all would agree is not possible. <laughs> so here's a book, and we're going to give you a biblical and theological approach to spiritual warfare. But when it comes to Satan or evil spirits being mentioned in this passage in 1 Samuel, hey, we don't have a solution that everyone's going to agree on. It is impossible to find a solution. Now, that to me is if nobody can find, if, if, if they can't even find a solution that everyone can agree upon and no one can agree, then what level of certainty should you have? But I think that there is an air of superiority and unshakable confidence and, and, and our own understanding of truth. And we always say, no, it's not my understanding. No, it's not my belief. It's the word of God. And we say it with such, you know, pious inflection. But no, it, it's your interpretation of the word of God. Because that other person over there that you just condemned and said was wrong, they're holding the same Bible you're holding. They're quoting scripture just like you're quoting scripture. And you say they're wrong and they say you're wrong. Doesn't that bother everyone? Doesn't that lead you to some at least pause and confusion and doubt? Now listen to this paragraph. The thing is, If you ever meet a Christian who is certain that they know all the answers, then you have certainly come across a spiritually immature person. Certainty. This air of superiority, this this arrogance, this like, I know the answers, is typically a sign of spiritual immaturity. And this is very dangerous. I, 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 I know this happens all the time in Bible colleges and seminary. In fact, it, sometimes the joke is, 
find the person who's completed one year of Bible college or one year of seminary. They are arrogant. They think they know everything. They think they know more than people. They, they will want to argue about everything. There's an, but guess what? It's only a sign of their spiritual immaturity. And I think that that's a, a, a stage. We'll go through all the stages I've written down that many Christians find themselves that there's a stage where you're learning and you're getting answers and you're learning maybe a particular system of theology that your church teaches. You're, you're learning some, maybe some church history. And all of a sudden, dun, dun, da, da, you've got the answers. You've got certainty. And without fail, it's a sign of your spiritual immaturity. But you don't see your immaturity because you know more than a lot of other people. Because you know more, you think then you're better off spiritually. But sometimes it's knowledge <laughs> without spirituality. The thing is, if you ever meet a Christian who is certain that they know all the answers, then you have certainly come across a spiritually immature person. Now, I've been there. Now, I know at the same time, I'm not throwing out saying, hey, nobody can ever be certain. No, you, you, you study and you're like, okay, I think I've got the answers. But then you show your humility and your willingness to admit that you can't, may not be as certain as you think you are because the next time you study it, you throw away everything you've studied in the past and you start over. There are things you can do to try to protect you from that way of thinking. But the article, let me read the paragraph again. The thing is, if you ever meet a Christian who is certain that they know all the answers, then you have certainly come across a spiritually immature person. And then they put why? Question mark. Here we go. Because certainty is the enemy of faith. Certainty is the enemy of faith. Wow, that is profound. That should be written down in everyone's journal. Everyone's, I don't know what you, notebook, journal, you need to write that down. Certainty is the enemy of faith. So if I was to get a tattoo, I may get that. Certainty is the enemy of faith. That's a beautiful statement. Powerful, profound, simple. Now, listen carefully. They're going to explain. Certainty is the enemy of faith. Think about it. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Because faith, by definition, is not required unless there is some reason to doubt. That is so profound. The opposite of faith is not doubt. Because faith, by definition, is not required unless there is some reason to doubt. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Faith is what you do when you doubt. See, see, certainty is almost the enemy of faith because you're certain. You don't need any faith. You just know. But I believe the Christian life should be, it should be lots of questions and doubt, which leads you to the stage of then having faith. That's why I said, what describes your Christian life? Certainty, doubt, or faith. I think that you, you go through periods of great doubt, but then you have to, by faith, 
Grab on to that which you cannot see. Grab on to that which you do not truly understand. You hold on to it, even though it may not make perfect sense. Certainty is the enemy of faith. Think about it. The opposite of faith is not doubt because faith by definition is not required unless there is some reason to doubt. Or to put it another way, if we had no doubts, we wouldn't need any faith. Therefore, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Actually, the opposite of faith is certainty. This is brilliant. This is genius. This is beautiful. I love this. The opposite of faith is certainty. And I believe certainty then becomes the enemy of faith. And therefore, that's that actually hinders one's spiritual growth. And I think that's why some those who are certain, certain typically leads to arrogance, an air of superiority, which then actually demonstrates their, their, their lack of spiritual maturity because spiritual immaturity would be there. You're not growing in faith. You're growing in certainty, which then leads to a growing in arrogance and, and an air of superiority. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It is certainty. An immature Christian has neat and tidy answers. But there comes a point where one must accept that there are some things, many things actually, for which there are no answers. Now, I believe the church, now this is not in this article, this is my own. I believe the church is the enemy of faith. Because the church, well, when they preach or teach, they try to remove all of the problems. They don't raise all of the questions. They don't deal with all the struggles that any person reading it should be struggling with. Like I did uh, on Wednesday night in Jeremiah. I raised all the problems and all the difficulties, saying that anyone reading this should be bothered. But most sermons don't do that. Most sermons don't go, oh man, this has got so many problems. Okay, we could go this way, we go this way, but if we go this way, then that doesn't make any sense. No, 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 no. You preach that sermon with an air of authority as if you have the answers and you preach those answers dogmatically, no questions, you give them certainty. And so everyone gets certainty, but certainty is the enemy of faith. Therefore, people don't grow in their faith. They grow in an, an attitude of certainty, which leads to arrogance and actually leads to a shallow faith, really a faith of, of no substance, because a faith that is never doubted is a faith that's not worth having. I believe the church is the enemy of faith. I think the church is the enemy of growing in faith because we want everything simple. We want it so simple. And we present the text as if there's no problem. And you're like, well, wait a minute. If that's true, wait. Okay, so wait. If God created, well, what about, well, wait. Is God in charge? Well, wait. If God is not in charge, well, then wait. Then how, well, then he gave the will. Well, okay, I don't know what to do. In your Christian life, think about it. 
Have you been, has the, has all of the Christianity that you've been experienced, all the Christianity you've been a part of, has it been there more trying to give you certainty instead of trying to present the questions and uh, acknowledging the things that should cause us to doubt and offering faith as, as the solution? Has your Christianity been one to more to provide you simple, shallow answers than real focus, which should lead to faith? I think it, it stunts your growth in faith. It's harmful to growth. You stagnate in your, you, 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 it's just, it's the enemy of it. Now, I know many will disagree with that. But so many times we'll, you know, we'll be in a passage of scripture and I'll be like, okay, guys, go find five sermons and listen to it. And then we'll go listen to those you know, five sermons and I'll be like, they don't even seem to acknowledge the problem. They don't even, they act like there's no big deal here. And you're like, I know that they, they have to know. Those preachers have to know because if you read commentaries, we're like, this is one of the most convoluted, complicated passages in, you know, biblical history. There's 37 different interpretations. No one knows. And the pastor just stands and goes, well, some people act like it's confusion, confusing, but in actuality, it's very simple. Here's the answer. And everybody's like, amen, there's the answer. See, I, I leave church with certainty. Do you want to leave church with certainty or do you want to leave church with truth? Truth doesn't always lead to certainty. In fact, certainty sometimes is the enemy of truth. I think the truth of God's word, because at times it is so confusing and difficult, demands faith. An immature Christian has neat and tidy answers. But there comes a point where one must accept that there are some things, many things actually, for which there are no answers. To be a person of true faith, you have to become completely comfortable with mystery, with paradox with apparent contradiction, with confusion. Now, I've added a lot of words. The uh, art, original article just says mystery and paradox, but I want to add all of those. You have to become comfortable with not having answers. You, gotta become, you have to become comfortable with questions and with doubt and with confusion and with apparent contradiction. You actually have to give up your addiction to answers. To be a person, to really reach that stage of faith, you almost have to give up your addiction to get the answer. Because some answer, now I'm not saying you should not try to get the answer, but sometimes you just got to realize you're never going to get the answer. It's never going to make sense. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I tell you, all my problems start right there because that God who created is all-powerful and all-knowing. Well, if he's all-powerful and all-knowing, he knew exactly what was going to happen, but he didn't use the power to stop it from happening. But yet he let it happen. But then he condemns what happens. But then he, oh, it's so confusing. You actually have to give up your addiction to answers and sit happily in the middle of confusion without being troubled by it. Now that's real 
faith. You're going to be able to sit in the middle of confusion and then handle it with faith. Listen, doubtless Christianity, a Christianity without doubt is a faithless Christianity. That is profound. A doubtless Christianity, a Christianity where there is no doubt, you remove all doubt, then it doesn't need faith. It becomes a faithless Christianity and a faithless Christianity just becomes an academic exercise where you get your answers and then you are, you think you're superior, you become arrogant, self-righteous, and you condemn everyone who doesn't pass your test. A doubtless Christianity, a Christianity with no doubt, is a faithless Christianity. It's a Christianity with no faith. Wow, that that is so profound. Now, I took my own journal. This is not from the article. And I just put stages, stages. Wasn't that an album by ZZ Top or by Boston? Was it Boston or ZZ Top who had an album called Stage? I digress, all right? I just mentioned music. I'm going to get myself in trouble. All right, here we go. Here we go. Here's, I believe, uh, I believe this is the stage, at least the stages. I, I, I'm going to just track my own life, all right? Obviously, my Christian life begins with conversion, right? I'm saved. And at that point, I'm fired up. I'm passionate. I'm excited about the things of God. I've got zeal, but I've got zero knowledge, at least for me, because I wasn't raised in a you know, Christian home. I didn't have any biblical knowledge. So I had the zeal, but I didn't have any knowledge. Now, that zeal led me to pursue knowledge at all cost, right? I've told the story how from the night that I was saved, I went home and that for very first night, read the entire New Testament. Within the first couple of days of my salvation, I already read the entire Bible, Within, I think, two weeks, I'd already read the entire Bible like two or three times. I think within a month, I'd already knocked it out like four or five times. Like, I just read, 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 read. I, I, I was skipping school to break into the church to sit in the sanctuary and read the Bible most of the day. Yeah, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm not saying I did everything right. I had lots of zeal, but I didn't have any knowledge. And I was doing all kinds of things wrong, but I was doing it because, you know, I was a Christian, right? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun time, but it was a confusing time. And there was a lot of humility. So my first stage was, really zeal, but no knowledge. Then there was, then I'm going to call it the, a, a, a humbling stage. A, a, there was a stage of humility there because I didn't know the, I knew I didn't know the answers. So I was humble. I was teachable. Maybe we'll call this, maybe we'll call this teachable. Maybe we'll call this second stage teachable. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to, I mean, it's a sense of humility, but the one is zeal with no knowledge. And I'm going to, I'm the second stage. I may just put teachable. I was very teachable because I didn't know anything. So anyone said anything, I was like, write it down, write it down. Oh, wait, wait, who? Adam did what? Wait, 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 who, what? Wait, who's Abram? No, he's Abraham. Wait, it's the same guy? Wait, wait, okay. Like, you know, whatever the case may be, just trying to write it down and like, wait, what did Moses do? Wait, what happened? Or like, you know, I'm just like learning, 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 learning. I was very teachable. 
Okay. Then, so there's, there's the zeal stage, zeal with no knowledge. There's the humble, teachable stage. Then the third stage is learning and growing. I mean, I'm just like taking it in like a sponge. I'm learning. I'm listening to sermons. I'm buying systematic theologies. I'm just going to town. I'm, I'm, ta- I'm going to any Bible study that's going on in the church. Women's Bible study, I don't care. I'm there. I don't care if it's, you know, Bible studies for those 70 and over. I'm there. Even though I'm a teenager, I didn't care. If something was going on, I was showing up. I showed up at every service. Service. I, I, they had a discipleship class at like 5 p.m. on Sundays. I was the only one there. I didn't care. If it was happening, I was there. All right. There's learning and growing. So zeal, but no knowledge, humble, teachable, learning, growing. And then it did not take long for me. That transitioned very quickly into pride and arrogance. Because oh, I caught on really quick. I know more than my Sunday school teacher. Did you even prepare for your Sunday school lesson? Did you even read? Because we had, uh, you know, a quarterly. Like this right here. Bible studies for life. Summer 2023, right? I would get this book like this and I would be like, oh, this is so awesome. When I was in that zeal stage with no knowledge, when I was in that that teachable learning growing, I would be like, oh, give me that. I take that thing home. I would read it, highlight it. I marked it all up. I had writing. I would read all the scriptures and I come to church Sunday. I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's do this. And then I would be like, nobody else read it this week. What are you people even talking about? Did you read the scripture? That like, and then the teacher would say something. I'm like, what are you talking about? Page four of the study guide. You know, the study guide you gave me, did you read it? And, and then I started being an arrogant jerk. I really did. I was like, is anybody here? Did anybody read anything? Nobody cared to read it. So, so what, what's even the point of showing up? If the point of the class is we go do the study at home and then we show up here to discuss it, I can't discuss it with any of you because obviously none of you care enough to even read your Bible. What is the problem with you people? And then I was just like, oh man, I was an arrogant jerk. But I, but, it, but it was motivated a lot by that zeal and that passion, but I just didn't understand like, what is the deal? What, what is the deal? And then that led to a, le- a great sense of certainty. Now, even in my sense of certainty, I was still willing to change my doctrines. And, and I, my, I mean, I was constantly changing my doctrinal beliefs because I was always studying and learning. But there was a, a, a greater sense of certainty started creeping in at this time that I've got it figured out and others don't. Now, the only difference with my certainty is I would change. Right. You know, I went from a Baptist to a Lutheran to a Baptist. You know, I mean, I was all over the place because I was trying to figure out the truth because I didn't if someone did, if I didn't feel like someone wanted to really study and give me answers, I was going to go look somewhere else. Now, that was a little bit of the arrogance, but certainty definitely did start creeping in. And I think that certainty was a major part of my Christian life to some level. I was still willing to change my doctrine. But this was a, a certainty This was a certainty mixed with a little bit of pride and arrogance. It was just kind of like there. So these stages, zeal with no knowledge, humility teachable, humble or teachable, uh, learning, growing, pride, arrogance, certainty, okay, and then brokenness. Then brokenness. 
because of my own failures, my own sin. I begin to see my failures. I begin to see my sin. I begin to see my weaknesses, my apathy. I begin to see me. I begin to see that I don't have this all figured out. And all these simple answers aren't as simple because it's much more complicated. And then I became broken. And then from that brokenness, then a, a humility began to come back. A humility began to come back. And then much doubt and confusion. Now, I always struggle with doubt and confusion to some level throughout my entire Christian life. But now the doubt and confusion, I was much more willing to acknowledge it. Like I would have my doubt and confusion, but then read everything I could to come up with an answer and go, here's the answer. I've, I've, I've dealt with the doubt and confusion. But at some point when I reached the level of doubt and confusion at this stage, it was more like, hey, these things can't be answered. Everyone thinks they know the answer. Nobody agrees on anything. And, and that I'm still very much a part of that, that, that period in my life. The doubt and confusion is still very much a part of the stage that I am in now. The difference is there was a period where there was doubt and confusion, but there was really, I wasn't looking to faith. I was trying to still find answers. And now I'm trying to much more sit in the midst of that confusion in faith. I'm not saying I'm there perfectly because I still struggle with that doubt and confusion, but I'm trying to embrace it with faith. That certainty, whatever certainty is an illusion to start off with and that whatever answers I think I have, they can only get me so far. They can only get me so far. And at that point, I just have to accept and embrace by faith all of the things that don't make sense and that will never make sense in this life. Where are you in your Christian life? Let me just read a couple of more, uh, just uh, uh, repeat some of the quotes that we have read from this article. If you ever meet a Christian who is certain that they know all the answers, you have certainly come across a spiritually immature person. Certainty is the enemy of faith. The opposite of faith is not doubt because faith by definition is not required unless there is some reason to doubt. Or to put it another way, if we had no doubts, we wouldn't need any faith. Therefore, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. An, Im an immature Christian has neat and tidy answers, but there comes a point when one must accept that there are some things, in fact, many things for which there are no answers. To be a person of true faith, you have to become completely comfortable with mystery, paradox, and I'll add questions, doubt, confusion. You actually have to give up your addiction to answers and sit happily in the middle of confusion without being troubled by it. Now that's real faith. A Christianity without doubt is a Christianity without faith. Love to get your thoughts. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. 
Love to hear from you. There's much more I want to say, but I'll just stop. I just hope that there are some of you out there who've been through a similar journey, and maybe you're still, you're right there with me in that doubt and confusion stage, trying to embrace it by faith. Now, some of you may be so, such in the certainty stage that none of this makes any sense and you think we're all crazy. Just give it time and I think you'll see. If you're growing as a Christian, you'll see that that certainty stage, to grow, you're going to have to give up the certainty stage. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful night. God bless.